Chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke, the yoke of being a bondservant, count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine... Yes, hello. Is that my... Okay. Thought that was the Lord calling. So... The name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Okay, so this first relationship that we're talking about this morning is masters and slaves. And most of you, uh, you might feel like you have a, a master, but you probably don't in the way that you may be thinking. Okay? Now, the closest we can get to this example in modern life would be the relationship between an employer and an employee. And as I got to thinking about that, I thought, you know, even that is not quite accurate. It would almost be the owner of that company and us working for that company. But yes, it directly translates to our bosses, if you will. Now, I want you to stop about this, and I stop, and I want you to think about this. Um, slavery really has not ended. Just, just let that settle a little bit, if you will. Now, I am not trying to or to make light of those who have suffered slavery at the hands of mankind. But I want you to consider this. Are we not still victims of slavery? Pretty much all of us. Think about this. We're born into a system where we must work most of our life for the profit of some other person. Right? Isn't that the American way? You know, we, we work. And we are taxed and taxed and taxed and taxed again. And I want to show you a graph of some of the taxes that we have to pay. Let's pop that up. It might be kind of hard to see. The first one that we got up here, this is in the United States. The first one is sales tax, right? Underneath that it says, uh, commonly used by states and local governments to raise revenue. States without general sales tax are Alaska, Delaware, Montana, New Hampshire, and Oregon. And please don't move. We like having you here. Okay, so sales tax. They have another one that surprised me. It's called sin tax. Now, not, not you programmers, not sin tax. It's sin tax. Did you know that they tax sin? No? Huh? Well, they do tax sin. Now, that's levied upon luxury goods, luxury cars, jewelry, vice items that are dangerous to one's health, imposed to discourage people from patronizing certain products like tobacco and alcohol. It's interesting that they call it a sin tax, isn't it? The third one there is travel tax. That is government-mandated Transport tax for travelers in the United States used to fund the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA. Airlines charge 7.5% tax on base airfare. Next one, capital gains tax. 
If you make any money, you got to pay money for making money. Okay? So, impose tax. Profits made from your investments. Sale of real estate properties. Long-term capital gain tax are levied against or at or lowered, excuse me, are taxed at a lower rate. Short-term capital gains are taxed at the same rate as income tax. So basically, you buy a house, you pay hundred and let's say $200,000 for a house. And, and you can sell it, and you sell it for $300,000. There are certain rules if you don't put that back into something the, cert, the right way. You've got to pay taxes on that 100%, that $100, uh, $10,000, what am I at? Where am I at? $100,000? There you go. Profit that you made on that, even though you made the payments. And while you were making the payments, they were taking out taxes out of your money anyway. But you've got to pay taxes on that. Inheritance and estate tax. I advise you to see a good attorney on uh, estate taxes and those kinds of things. But basically, if, uh, if you give it, let me read it. It's better if I just read it. Paid on the transfer of properties from a dedicated, excuse me, a deceased person to his heirs. Paid by his heirs prevents the transmission of tax-free wealth on America's most affluent families. Okay, so we all know that most America's affluent, most affluent fam families have uh, enough money to hire a good lawyer, right? And so in a lot of cases, they're able to shelter that. They're able to uh, do that in such a way so they're not taxed as much as the average person would be. But basically what that means is if your parents die and give you the house and you decide to sell it, you're going to have to pay taxes on it all anyway. So even if it was a gift given to you. Again, there are some loopholes. I uh, encourage you to look into that. Income tax, we know what that is. Value-added tax, that's placed on the added value of goods from production to the point of sale. Okay, so you, you're paid on the profit, if you will, of whatever you're making. Then payroll tax, and you got property tax. Okay, so pastor, why did you do all this? Why did you go through all of that? Well, I wanted to make the point that what we see Paul writing and think it's maybe obscure to us, that it doesn't apply, it definitely applies to us. Because how many of you would get up tomorrow and go to work if they were not going to pay you? Maybe one of you, maybe two of you, because you really like your job, but you go to work and you have to do that work in order to get paid, make a living for your family. And please understand, I'm not advocating that we stop being productive citizens. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying to take up arms against the government. Not yet. I'm just kidding. Ho hopefully I'm just kidding. But here's my point, and that is we're slaves. We're born into that system. And we're in that system till we die. And then even after we die, <laughs> your family's got to go through all the rest of that. So we're in it too. Now, I beg you, those who have heard this illustration, since you've been here, you've probably heard me use it more than once. I use it because it is a perfect example of working for a living and the things that you've got to go through and deal with in this life. And it's about a man who was trying to get workman's compensation because he was hurt on the job. And here's his letter that he writes in. He said, Dear Sir, 
I am writing in response to your request for additional information in block three of the accident report form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You ask for a fuller explanation and I trust the following de details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later, were found to be slightly in excess of 500 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel and use a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor, securing the rope at ground level. I went up to the roof, I swung the barrel out, and I loaded the bricks into it, then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You will note on block 11 of the accident report form that I weigh 135 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off of the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and I forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building in the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which is now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone, as I listed in section three of the accident report form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until my fingers of my right hand were buried two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and I was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to feel. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight in the bricks, the barrel weighed only 50 pounds. I refer to you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building in the vicinity of the third floor. I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe, severe lacerations of my legs and my lower body. Here, my luck began to change slightly. I encounter with the barrel... My encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked, and I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks and, uh, in pain and I could not uh, move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and I let go of the rope, and I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down onto me. This explains the two broken legs. I hope this answers all of your questions. Now, do you feel that way? Have you felt that way in your career or your job? Okay, working for a living is part of the Adamic curse. You realize that, don't you? We, we are under a curse. Let me explain. In Genesis 3.17... They said to Adam, he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife 
And you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Now you guys are probably going, boy, I like this pastor. He's just so encouraging. (laughs) Paul is in no way supporting slavery. That's important that we know and understand that. It is part of their lives. The masters and the slaves are sometimes going to the same church. This is why he's writing to Timothy, because he has both going to the same church. Now they get saved. Let's say they both get saved. Now they're wondering, what's my role? What am I, how am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? If you're a Christian boss and you have Christian employees, they could... Think that now because you're a Christian, you're going to be easier on them than you are anyone else. This is what he's dealing with. He's simply telling the Christian slaves to not give their masters any reason to dishonor the Lord or Christianity by their actions at their jobs. They were to consider their masters worthy of all honor. Now, Those of you that get up and go to work every day, you know that that's not an easy task. Sometimes you have managers, I'll I'll be easy, I'll be soft here, that are not good at their job. Sometimes you have maybe managers or even owners that are mean, just downright mean to their employees. This is what Paul is trying to deal with here. Look at verse 2. And he says, those who have believing masters. We get hung up on that word. Let's just put bosses in there for now. Those who have believing bosses. Let them, the slave, the worker, the employee, not despise the masters. Because they are brethren. Don't despise them because they are brethren. You're a Christian, you should treat me better. Christians are horrible for wanting a discount. You know that? Anybody know that? If you find out that the, that the owner is a discount, I mean the owner is a discount. The owner is a Christian, you automatically, hey brother, you think you can hook me up? We're, we're notorious for that. And I get it. I'm that way too sometimes. But my point is that really when we find out that the boss is a Christian, we should maybe even give them a little more. Give them, give them a tip. Give, you know, be, we should do that for everybody. But I'm just saying, if that's a brother, that brother's going to take a percentage of what he makes and give it back to the work of the Lord. That's a, that's a good thing. That is an awesome thing. So maybe if you ask somebody who is a Christian to do a job for you, 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 you just stand firm. If they give you a price, you stand firm on that price. If you can't afford it, just say no. But, but not try to negotiate so much with them. You guys, I think, heard me say that last week. So, 
Because those who are benefited are believers, the beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So, some of them are blessed. Like some of you, you're blessed, you have a good boss. You have someone that cares about you, someone that uh, uh, tries to treat you fairly. And believe it or not, way back in this time, there were actually some that uh, had, had good masters. They, 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 were, they were decent human beings. Again, please understand, I'm not saying that Paul is saying that that is acceptable or even a good thing. It just was. And he's trying to help them to be able to deal with it. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that are questioning, how do you make Christianity and slavery coexist? It just doesn't seem like it could, but it was there. How do you, how do you get Christianity to coexist with so many things that Christians do today or get involved in? You know, you try to wrap your brain around that, that's hard to be able to do. Some of the things are imposed upon us, not because we necessarily want it, they're just imposed upon us. So, I'm pretty sure there were probably some of the people who were working under unruly owners, masters, if you will, that they're probably thinking, how could you possibly be a good Christian and, and have, make me, treat me like this? Make me do this stuff. Brothers in the Lord, it should be able to be changed. Now, it's also possible that a slave in the church could rise up spiritually over his boss. Now, what do I mean by that? He becomes an elder. He becomes a, a deacon. He becomes a, or she becomes a, a Sunday school teacher. I mean, they could rise up in the church. Maybe be, even become an assisting pastor. Or maybe eventually even becoming the pastor. So spiritually now... That master is supposed to show respect for that person who has risen up to a place of authority. That stuff is not easy. That's not easy to negotiate. And that's what he's trying to help young Paul to be able to understand. But Paul's exhortation is the same. Willingly to submit to those that have authority over you and pay honor and pay respect to them. Now, we don't like that. I don't know about you guys, but as a young man, I had a problem adjusting to this. Like I said, my dad was not home because of his alcoholism. He was not home. I, I didn't learn this thing of manning up because there was no man to man up like. So I, I, I didn't know how to do this. I mean, I went to work early, but... You know, if I didn't like a job, I was gone. Back during those days, you're making minimum wage anyway, so it's like, hey, this stinks, I'll go get another one for minimum wage. You know, I can, I can get by. So it, it took me a while to be able to get to a place to where you can put all those things in the right place. My boss is my boss. You see this a lot in fast food places. Where you go in and it's run by very young people, probably high schoolers, because they're looking for that part-time job or the summer job, and not always, but in, in some cases. And you can, you can just, I see myself a lot 
in my young years when I see some of that. It's like, okay, the, the floors are filthy. The floors are filthy. Somebody ought to do that. <laughs> you know, you're sitting back going, somebody ought to do that, but that's not my job. I'm not going to do it. Or you go in and the table, tables are filthy. Probably nine out of ten times, Becky and I have to clean our own tables. That's, has anybody else found that? Any show of hands? You got to clean your own table. And they're standing in the back talking. They're standing in the back talking, joking. And you can also kind of tell the, the mood or the age of the place by whatever music is playing uh, in the background, right? Somebody gets to pick out the music for, for the day. Good or bad, it is just the way that it is. These are not good, not good. They're not easy changes. So, he's dealing with this and trying to get them to understand it shouldn't affect their work ethic. Well, pastor, what do you mean by that? It means that I should work as unto the Lord. My real master is Jesus Christ. So, I've got to look beyond just the boss I've got to look beyond just the owner of the business, and I've got to look at my own character in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is, I should do what I'm asked to do. I don't have to like it, but I need to do it without an attitude. I need to do what I am supposed to do. And this is what Paul's trying to help everyone with. And I really wish that I would have had a dad that would have taught me that Early, early on, because I kind of had to learn it as I was going through it. But that's kind of what moms and dads are there for, and that's teaching a certain amount of responsibility, a certain amount of respect, a certain amount of honor to be able to do the job. And you guys have heard me jokingly say before, you know, we're so grateful to get that job. We want a job. We want a new motorcycle. We want a bicycle if you're young enough, whatever it is, you want something, right? So you get the job and you're so grateful to have that money. Even though it's not a lot, you're grateful to have that money. Within two, two or three weeks, you're ready to run the company, right? We're ready to tell the boss what he needs to do to change. That's not respectful. Now, the Apostle Paul turns his next topic to false teachers. Not that we have any around today, but false teachers. Yes, we have many of them. Look at verse 3. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise, 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 what do you mean otherwise? Well, everything I've taught you. If they don't stick to the word of God, if they don't stick to the word of Jesus, there are people around right now, guys, trying to rewrite this. They're trying to rewrite it as though they're smarter than the ones who put it together and the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word of God. They're already trying to rewrite it, tell you what's good, what's bad, what the, and modifying it to allow for certain sins, if you will, in their lives. But he's saying, if anyone teach you something other than what the Word of God teaches you and what I have taught you, he says, let, and they do not consent to wholesome words. What are wholesome words? Things that build up, things that encourage, things that show love, not division, not hate, not all the other garbage, words that are wholesome. Even, now he explains it a little further, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Where are you going to find those? Not on CNN. You're not going to find them on the media. The only place you're going to find them is, is in the Word of God. And from the mouth of another Christian, hopefully. He says, even the words of Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. Well, doctrine is a big word for teachings, for the teachings that accord with godliness. In other words, the teachings that teach you how to be a better man or a better woman. And not just self-help books, but this self-help book. The one that will tell you the honest to goodness truth. There is this thing going around, I'm sure you guys have seen it, that it's all about my truth. Live your truth. Anybody seen that? It's, it seems to be all over the place. Live your truth. What does that mean? So if I believe that killing somebody and eating them for dinner is my truth, I get to live my truth? No, you don't. No, you don't. Your truth and my truth doesn't matter unless it's the truth of the gospel. Unless it's honest to goodness truth, it doesn't matter. Because if there's enough hatred in my heart, my truth gets soiled by that hatred. If I had a rough life growing up, if I don't let that go, and I don't find Jesus to change a, an ugly heart, that will change everything I think is truth. If I've been done wrong, or so I think I've been done wrong, and that seed has planted in my heart and grown into a forest, that's going to affect my truth. So it needs to be God's truth. Now, he's talking about these false teachers, and here's what he, how he describes them. Look at verse 4. This person is proud, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, Strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings over men of corrupt, of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain from such withdrawal, have nothing to do with them. Let me, let me go back over this a little bit. He's proud. There's all different kinds of pride, isn't there? You're in high school, they teach you, you know, spirit day or pride day, and you, you show pride in the football team or the basketball team or whatever it might be. You're proud of your, your kids. You know, there, are, there can be a good type of pr uh, being proud, but there can be a horrible type of being proud. The one he's talking about is a horrible type of being proud. This person who's causing division, he's proud, he's puffed up. They think there's something. They think they have knowledge that nobody else has and that they need to enlighten you, but he goes on to say they don't know anything because what they know is nothing about the Word of God. Nothing about the Word of God. He's proud, knowing nothing, but he is obsessed with arguing. <laughs> Loves to get into an argument. I had somebody who used to go to this church a long time ago, and we were talking about something. He said, well, I just love to play the devil's advocate. And I go, what are you doing on his side? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a thing people say. 
I'm, you know, just playing the devil's advocate. You'd be better off to say, I just want to pose a different side of opinion. <laughs> That's what they mean by it. He's proud. He's obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. Over words. Have you noticed how the vocabulary, the vocabulary of Americans, have you noticed how much it's changed? Words don't mean what words used to mean. Just like your truth. You can't change truth. Truth is either truth or it's not truth. You can't have 60 million different versions of truth. It doesn't work. We've changed our words so that we can get by with sin. So we can soften them up so they don't sound so bad. Whoever these people who are that want to divide, they're obsessed with arguing and disputing over words. Splitting hairs, if you will. From which come what? Envy? Everybody wants to make everybody else envious. But I got what you don't have. Look at my car, it's a better car than yours. Look at my shoes, aren't they better shoes than what you've got on? Envy, strife, strife, we know what strife is. Reviling, it's putting people down, arguing, fighting. Evil suspicions, when you start doing that, you cast evil suspicions. It's very, very difficult today to, find, to, to uh, determine who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. It is very, very difficult to figure out who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. It's almost at a place where they're intentionally, whoever they are, intentionally trying to get us to where we don't trust anyone. And I know that there are many of us might be saying, well, I'm kind of almost at that place myself right now. I'm not saying that is all bad. Evil suspicions. Suspicious, being suspicious is, it can be a good thing. As I've shared with you guys before, when my wife go in any place, I always sit, I always sit where I can see the whole room. Done that my whole life. Anybody here like that? Yeah. You get to where you can see the whole room. Because it's my duty as, as a husband, as a dad, to protect my family. I'm not saying, moms, it's not yours. It's yours also. But I always try to sit in a corner someplace where I can see the whole room. And I once told my wife, I said, if I just out of the blue told you we need to go, would you, would you get up and go? You guys have heard me say this. Would you get up and go with me? Or would you go, well, why do we have to go? How come we're going to, you know, would you just, would you trust me enough to just get up and go? And, you know, she asked a good question. Well, why? <laughs> well, because I would never do that unless I saw something that I felt like we needed to leave. If I felt like we were in danger or something was going on, I would want you to trust me enough that we could get up and we 
could just, we could leave and just avoid the setting and the situation. I'm not saying I'll always be right. Maybe, maybe I jump to the conclusion, but I'd rather jump to the conclusion and just leave than I would to stay there having that kind of feeling or seeing something and not being there. So, we've got to be careful because we live in a world right now where we're suspicious of absolutely everything. I'm not saying that we're wrong for that. I'm just saying be careful of that. And be careful of a false teacher that you hear on the radio or anywhere else that's not going by the word of God and they say something and you go, that can't be right. That, that can't be right. I've, I've never heard that ever in the scriptures, what they're saying. That should be one of those where you say, hey, let's get up and get out of here. <laughs> let's, let's be careful of that. Useless wranglings, arguings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So these guys are in it for the money. These false teachers are just in it from the, for the money. Now what does he say to do? Have nothing to do with him. From such, from those false teachers, get up, get out of the way, and don't have anything to do with them. He doesn't, he pretty much doesn't mince words with this. He's pretty self-explanatory and he's pretty hard-nosed on this, if you will. Don't put yourself in that place where somebody is giving you and spoon-feeding you false information, especially when it comes to the Bible. And I, that's one of the reasons why I became a Calvary Chapel pastor, because of the verse-by-verse -verse Bible teaching. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from Genesis to Revelation, when we're done, we come back and we start all over again. Because I want to know what the whole word of God says. I don't want to hear four or five weeks in a row that we got a building program going on and you need to give everything you got and sell one of your kids. And that happens in some churches. All you hear about is money, 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 money. Give, 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 give. Or it's all about something that doesn't have anything to do with the word of God. Or... As one famous preacher testifies that he's a, he's a um, topic teacher. He's a, uh, what am I looking for? The word, um, I wanted to say mood teacher, but it's pretty close to the same thing. In other words, he'll go by certain teachings that he wants to teach, but he's never word for word in the Bible. He just jumps around. And Pastor Chuck, Pastor Chuck Smith told us pastors a long time ago, he says, going verse by verse keeps you off of your pet peeves. It keeps you from going into areas where you enjoy them or they're your thing, but you avoid the ones that are difficult or the ones that are hard. By going verse by verse, you're giving the full counsel of the word of God. Look at verse 6, please. Now, godliness, well, what's godliness? We've got to define that because it says, now, godliness with contentment is great gain. What is godliness? Going to church every Sunday? Not necessarily. Going to church every Sunday and midweek? Not necessarily. Working in the nursery? <laughs> not necessarily. That might be martyrdom, but it's not. <laughs> what is godliness? Well, first of all, you've got to know God to know what godliness is. And, and folks, when I say that, I'm not saying 
Baptist, Nazarene, Catholic, Episcopalian, Independent. That's not what I'm saying. You've got to know the God of the Bible. You've got to know the God of the world. You've got to go know the Creator. You've got to know who God is. How are you going to know who God is? He's written you a love, not just a love letter, but a love book. Here's how you're going to know who God is. So he's basically saying, fill yourself up with God. Not pride, not ego, not money. None of those things are necessarily, you know, money's the root of evil, but it doesn't have to be evil. It doesn't have to govern our entire life. What he's trying to say is that you can't have contentment without God. You, you'll never be content. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You're rich if you have that. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You die naked and broke, and you're going to, I mean, you're born naked and broke, you're going to die naked and broke. That's life. But how about in between? Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Most of you have food and clothing. Most of us have food and clothing. And yet, in a lot of cases, we're still not happy. Do you know how many people, I don't know the exact number, but do you know how many people in the world don't know if they're, they're wearing old raggedy clothes that they picked off of somebody else? They, they can't go buy new clothes. They, they, can't, they don't have a new shirt. They don't have new pants. You know how many people who will go to bed hungry, the moms and dads will go to bed hungry so their children can eat? You know how many children will go to bed hungry because they have nothing to eat? Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but sometimes we sit down to this banquet, you know? We sit down to this food, even if it's, it's just a breakfast, or we go out to eat, we sit down and we, we have this bounty in front of us, and, and we forget to even pray we forget to even say God thank you I know I know that you don't owe me this but I'm grateful I'm grateful for what I have and you might say well I'm, I, I don't pray in public well pray silently you know but, but give thanks for what God has done food and clothing with these we shall be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition everybody wants to be rich but rich in the wrong things so you make a lot of money if you're not wise with that it'll be gone shortly or you'll find yourself in a in a place of doing things that you shouldn't do because now you've got the money to be able to do them. I want to be really careful how I say this, and I hope those of you that have been here a while, you, you know me well enough to know. Sometimes being poor is a blessing. Sometimes not having so much is a real blessing. You don't have to think about all that stuff. All you've got to try to figure out is how to get through the month. 
And if you put your faith and trust in the Lord, he'll get you through those months. Will it be easy? No. Will it be hard? Yes. But that's part of the conditioning. If you're going to train to be a professional athlete, it's tough work to get to that school level, to that uh, skill level, excuse me. It's tough work. It's hard work. If you're going to excel at anything, you're going to have to put in the time and have to do the math. But sometimes just having enough to, to, to get by, you know, if you, if you couldn't buy your kids a bicycle and you had to buy a used one and they had to fix it, you know, for the Christmas present, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. In fact, that's kind of cool in a way because you got involved in their Christmas present rather than just going and laying down the money. And if it breaks, they can go find another one broken down and they can fix it and they can get their bike back together. It's not such a bad thing. Then he says in verse 10, for the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But you, man of God, woman of God, run away from these things, flee from these things, and pursue, here he gives us a list of what we should be pursuing, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. You know what? If our society could just get this, just get this, our whole world would change. Our whole world would change if people were concerned with doing what is right. And that's found in the Word of God. If they were concerned about what God thinks instead of what everybody else thinks. If they put their faith in love, uh, their faith in God and love people and have patience and be gentle to people. Our whole world would be a different world. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on the eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You notice he uh, mentioned godliness before contentment. Godliness, then contentment. How many of you know that contentment is really, uh, it, it, it's really a vapor? It, it, it seemed, if you don't have Jesus Christ, contentment is a vapor. It lasts for a little while and then... If you don't have Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is not first in your life, there are certain um, perks, I don't know if I'd call them perks, but there's things, events that happen in life that make you feel euphoric. You buy a new house, you're euphoric for a while. And then the yards have to be mowed. And the refrigerator breaks. You get a raise, you're euphoric for a while until the spending increases with it and you're right back where you were before you got the raise that's not really contentment contentment is that even when it's tough you still say God's in charge God's still in control and I'm going to love him and I'm going to trust him no matter what that's true contentment whether I have a little or whether I have very little I'm still happy because I put my faith and my trust in the Lord. Look at Matthew 6, 7. We're going to close this up. I'm going a little long again. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. 
What does that mean? When you pray, just don't say the same thing over and over again because you really aren't talking to God. You're just trying to make up a story and you can't remember the story. <laughs> now, let's face it. Before you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you probably had those vain, repetitious prayers. Something that somebody taught you. You sit down at, at dinner and you have a, a prayer that you just pray and you repeat it because you've always done it. Your father did it. Your mother did it. Everybody else did it. And, and prayers, they're just... its I would think God's sitting up there going, not again. I'm your dad. Talk to me. I'm your dad. Talk to me. When you pray, don't use the vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things. This is cool. The father knows that you have need of those things even before you ask him. He already knows what you need. So asking him over and over and over again for he already knows. If you say, well, God, you promised, that's like, well, if I know what I promised. What are you telling me I, I promised? You're reminding, let me get this straight. You're reminding me of what I promised you. You don't need to do that. I already know that. So... Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows these things before you ask. Look, Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you should eat, what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on it. Is not life more than the food or the body more than the clothing? Not in our world, right? And he says in 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to its stature? Pastor Dan tells me he prays to get taller all the time. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Dan. <laughs> and he told me that it hasn't happened yet. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, but neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not so much more clothe you? Oh, ye of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things, those who are not saved seek those things. He says, that's what the Gentiles seek. He says, but first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here it is. There you go. There you go. All of these things will simply be added to you. Why? Because he's a good, good father. He knows what you need ahead of time. And a good father should know what their kids need. A good mother should know what their kids need. And they're probably already saving up for it. If they don't have much money, they're already saving up for it. And they can't wait till they can give it to them and see that joy in their eyes. That's what our father does for us. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So guys, let Jesus be everything to you. If you're worried about money, let him be your broker. 
Let him be your broker. Is there anybody that knows more about finances than Jesus? No. So let him handle those things. If you're worried about your kids, is there anybody who knows any more about kids than Jesus? No. If you're worried about your marriage, is there anybody who knows more about being married to someone like the church (laughs) than Jesus? He died for the church. He loves the church. And we're not all perfect, right? We make mistakes. He'll show us how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife. God's got that under control. Those pursuits need to be him above all things. And he will add all the other things to us. Okay, um, verse 13, and I'm going to close. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things. And before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession, spoke before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, that means ruler or officer, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power, amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be puffed up because they have a little something, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You know that in an instant, no matter how much money you have, it could be taken away. And if you have it, it's probably because of God's blessing. So, he says in 20, O Timothy, guard what was committed to you. Commit it to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of which is falsely called knowledge. If you find somebody that thinks that they're so smart, they're probably not. I mean, if they've got to prove it with every other breath of how brilliant they are, You've got to be really humble and bite your tongue. But he's basically saying that, you know, they go on and on with these babbling strands, arguing over words and meanings of words. 21, it says, by professing it, some have strayed from the faith. Grace be to you. So Timothy, quit debating. Don't debate with people. Don't get into arguments with people. Just enjoy the Lord. So I'm going to close with this, guys. Give your heart to Jesus. You say, Pastor, what does that look like? Let him tell you what it looks like. I could give you some examples, but he'll show you what you need to do. When we come in and give our life to Jesus, we're just like that little baby. You know, we don't, we don't know much, but we grow. And God begins to change us and convict us. And he begins to make us into the men and women that we need to be. So if you're worried about anything this morning, I want to ask you to say two prayers. One, God, give me the peace that passes all understanding. And number two, God, give me the ability to put it all before you and not take it back. Now, you're going to say that over and over again (laughs) because you are going to take it back. But just say, God, help me to take my life and my future and everything else and let me place it in your hands and leave it there. Let's pray.